0: Antoine de Saint Exupéry, 1900 to 1945, was a French writer and aviator. He was born and brought up in a French city known as Lyon. Saint Exupéry was a prolific writer, along with a skilled pilot as well as a pilot instructor. He continued to write and fly until 1940. Following the Germany's defeat of France, he and his wife moved to the United States. And a couple years later, he returned to Europe to fly in the Free French Forces. His final assignment was July 31, 1944. He was to collect intelligence on German troop movements at the Rhone River He left from Corsica and was never seen again. In 1988, a fisherman found a bracelet in Marseille, which was positively identified as Saint-Exupéry's. In 2000, a diver found a plane in the same area, which was confirmed to be his. In March of 2008, The 64-year mystery was apparently resolved when an 88-year-old named Horst, I'm not for sure how to pronounce his last name, so I'm just going to call him Rippert. I like the name Rippert, so we'll stick with that. A former German World War II fighter pilot stated that he had believed for some time that he was the one who shot him down shot the French literary hero down on July 31, 1944. Rippert says that that had he known who was in that plane, he would have held his fire. He says this, Saint Exupéry knew admirably how to describe the sky, the thoughts and the feelings of pilots, And his work inspired many of us to take up our own vocation. Saint Exupery understood how to inspire people to work. He said in his book, The Little Prince, if you want to build a ship, Don't drum up people to collect wood, and and don't assign them tasks and work. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. This morning, we are going to gaze at beauty. We're going to look upon a lady found in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. We will listen to a poem that is jaw-dropping beautiful. As we contemplate her and the beauty of her work, I pray that we will begin to long for the endless immensity of the excellent worker who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Would you stand with me with your Bibles open to the last proverb in the book of Proverbs, it's a matchless poem, and we're going to read it in its entirety. Proverbs 31, starting with verse 10, we read, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the dista, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, and clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children, they rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, quote, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but... A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we want to come to you with faith. We want to come to you with a heart that is open and susceptible to splendor. We look to you for all we need as we look at a poem. Oh, may we not just look, but actually be so drawn into it that we start looking at someone who has worked on our behalf. Grace us with this passage. Help us to have the wisdom needed to work with hands of delight. And we pray this for your glory, the three-person God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For your glory we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. So most of you know that we are in a series, it's a series on the book of Proverbs, it's been going on for, I don't know, it seems like months, and sometimes it just seems like days, it's been going quite quickly. We've gone through chapters 1 through 9, and that's, we'll call that the hermeneutics of the book of Proverbs. That is to say, we worked through chapters 1 through 9, and now we got a sense of how to read Proverbs riddles, poetry. And so then we launch off into chapters 10 through 31 and we read them. And so we've been looking at wisdom because wisdom is essential in the book of Proverbs. And we watched how wisdom works within certain areas of our lives. We looked at uh, uh, wisdom for our words We are to speak in a way that is wisely, is timely, is helpful. We looked at wisdom in our marriages and how that can recover and restore and strengthen and edify. We looked at it in the area of parenting. We looked at last week at the topic of anger and what wisdom can help us do in the midst of anger. And now... We need wisdom for work, a four-letter word that sometimes we just look at with disgust and say, that's gross. I remember sitting around the table and we were divvying out responsibilities, we elders, to preach the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. And Pastor Garrison, he's not here today so I can rat on him. He looked at me and he said, so your assignment is work. And I did this. I went, and he just kind of giggled. And I said, well, I like those, those passages that, that just are like a trampoline where you can get on them and everyone is just in awe over Jesus and, you know, it's just there. And now you ask me to come the day before Monday, and talk about work. So off I went into the book of Proverbs over the topic of work. And what I thought I would do is go from chapter 10 through chapter 31 and start gleaning insights from the book of Proverbs in the topic of work and start creating a collage And maybe even put it on the screen and this collage would be helpful to us. And it was. It was a glorious experience. I'd encourage you to do it. But as I rounded the corner and went to Proverbs 31, reaching the end of the book, I saw myself scaling a majestic mountain. And I found myself on the apex that introduced me to a vast vista of wonder and awe. I had reached Proverbs 31, 10 and following. And so I started listening, listening to my eyes at a poem about an excellent wife. And this poem is an encomium. It's a, uh, a, a poem that is... is, is, is Glowing and warm and embracing and powerful and persuasive and passionately moving into topics, ideas, or, or, or objects, or people themselves. And it's a praise. It's an ode. It's a tribute to something that is just exceptional. And you can't keep it in. And you write a poem and sing it. And I'm not going to sing this one, but I'm going to preach this one. And so as I looked at it more carefully, I started seeing that this, this beautiful, exquisite, excellent wife, her beauty just exudes from her. But as I started looking at it more carefully, that the poem, though it alludes to outer beauty, it's largely written to look into inner beauty inner worth, inner beauty that gives rise to something. And the something was good works. She is an excellent worker. She's an excellent wife who works. So I thought, I'm going to call this an excellent worker. And I want you all to identify, male or female, come on guys, you can do it, to identify with the excellent wife as it goes in the direction of an excellent worker. And as I started looking at this poem more carefully, I noticed that, that right in the middle, there was an animating center that just radiated outward for the whole poem to be animated. And this, this centerpiece was three verses, and as we stare at and look into this epicenter, this vortex, if you will, this, this animating center of the poem, I begin to see the big idea as I see it. The big idea that I would for you to remember, to put in your pocket and hopefully insert into your heart, is this. An excellent worker excels in three activities. In verse 18, the excellent worker excels in perceiving accurately. The excellent worker, in verse 19, excels in producing diligently. And then verse 20, the excellent worker excels at providing generously. So all we're going to do this morning in the next, I'm not for sure, we'll be looking at those three points, And hopefully you'll begin to see some of the logic behind it. One precedes and gives rise to the other. We're going to look at the epicenter here, and then as we have time, we'll just branch out and see some examples all through Proverbs 30, the poem, 10 through 31. But if you're ever in doubt over where I'm at, pull your eyes, pull your focus right into 18, 19, and 20, and that will be the epicenter for this morning. The excellent worker, we start with verse 18, and we see that she perceives accurately. Verse 18 reads, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. So when she looks at what she has made, and she is making a lot of things in this poem, she looks at it, and she doesn't go, oh, it's not that good, it doesn't matter. No, no, she looks at it, and she she perceives. That is to say, she contemplates, and she discerns, she weighs out, she measures, she calculates. Through her eyes, she is seeing, assessing and assigning value, and she sees it, and she says, that's good that's good in fact that is really good very good her work that much was kind of noticeable and easy with it but then as I continued with verse 18 I was puzzled it says her lamp does not go out at night now over the past 30 years or so, this poem has been out there. And I have read it, and I've, I've pastored with it, and talked with people, and I've listened to ladies, ladies who say, oh, I want to aspire to the top of that, and I want to be like that for my husband, and my children, and my, my church, and my community. And, but the more I was listening to those things, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking... I would see haggard women under a huge burden saying, I know I'm supposed to be this, but I'm not. I can't sew. I can't buy property and sell property. and I can't do these things. And I certainly can't stay up all night. The kids are crazy right now, and i got to get as much rest as I possibly can. Well, I always thought that that's what that verse meant. Her light never goes out. But there's a man named um, C.H. Toy. Never read from him. He's in the early 1900s. But Bruce Waltke points to him and quotes him about this verse. And he says... In a well-ordered house, he's referring to Middle Eastern, Palestine, Israel, right in that area. In a well-ordered house, the lamp burned all night as a sign of life. Its extinction marked calamity. So as I was looking at this interpretation, it took me over to Jeremiah 25.10, and it said this, this is, this is referring to the Israelites who were rebels to the core and the Lord and his patience over the centuries, calling them back, calling them back, calling them back. And they just said, talk to the hand. And so that's when the Babylonian exile came in and God through his instruments, Nebuchadnezzar and so forth, went out and pulled them out of the land and put them in exile And this is what Jeremiah 25 says concerning calamity or concerning curse or concerning not the flourishing blessings of a believing life. It says this, if I can find it now. I will banish from them the voice of mirth. Do do you guys know what mirth is? I just like to say the word mirth. But, it, but it's, it's, it's like humor, it's like a, a jovial, joyful interaction, it's mirth. I will banish the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. Ooh, can you listen to the beauty of bridegroom and bride's voice and how they are giggling And how they are enjoying and banished. And the voice of the bride. The grinding of the millstones. Now we're going into work. And they worked when the flourishing was was around them. With hands of delight and a heart that was expanding. They were happy. They had mirth and gladness. And the grinding of the millstone. All those voices went still. And then it reads this and the light of the lamp. What does Proverbs 31, 18 talking about? When the lamp burned throughout the night, it functioned as a symbol of blessings from the Lord that pierces the darkness. Number six, it says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. There's a flourishing about being in God and for God and walking with God and that light demonstrated that there was blessings flourishing in this house not calamity this verse tells us that the excellent wife who is an excellent worker is blessed by the Lord she knows Psalms 127 verse 2 you might want to write that down I certainly need to write that one down It it says, it is in vain, Dan Turner, that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved, allow that just to rest on you, His, his loved ones, his blessed ones, and then he gives you sleep. So surely the excellent worker is not going to disdain the Sabbath or the rest or or listening to Proverbs 127.2 and saying, won't you rock me? Won't you hold me? I don't want to be anxiously toiling. I want to be a worker that is calm inside yet urgent to do something. That's the point of Psalm or uh, verse 18. And so we see that the excellent worker perceives, weighs out, calculates clearly, accurately, and that gives rise to something in verse 19. Before we get to 19, a few little examples of this. Look at verse 12. She looks at her marriage with high priority. She perceives accurately that this is of utmost importance. This is valuable. And the, the, the woman then has a lot of love and support and resources and resourcefulness. And the husband is deriving this goodness all the days of her life according to verse 12 good and not evil, and this devotion to him is lifelong. It keeps her going and motivates her when life is difficult because she has an accurate perception of this outlook that fuels her life and love and good deeds. Look at verse 16. She takes this perception, it's accurate, and she looks at a field, and she she considers it. The verb is very similar to the one in verse 18 of perceiving. So she's considering it, and she's thinking, is this profitable or not? Is this fertile or not? Do we have enough money in the bank account to purchase it or not? What's wise here? And she gets it just right, and she buys it. And then the fruit of her hands, you can see in that verse, she's got excess money to then presumably hire a some farmers, and go in and plant a vineyard that would be an exceptional investment and a boom, and she gets the proceeds and, and it's lucrative. She understands how this all works and she does quite well with it. Look at verse 25 and even 27. She, she looks out over the future with clear perception. She's confident she 's not fretful, she's not in dread her her laugh do you see that word in there? Have you ever looked at someone who is laughing robustly that their face contorts and, and it kind of stretches it expands, and something is contorting and expanding the 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 facial expression of something inside it's just this this mirth <laughs> it's this this Billowing up joy and gladness that gives rise to laugh. She, she's not an eternal optimist who, who, who can't look at realism, but she laughs at what is to come. So when I started looking at that, I might even put that in a little card and put it in my study. What is to come. There are some times when I look at the tomorrows, I mean like tomorrow, Monday, and my heart starts fluttering, wondering, do I have enough grace and enough wisdom to navigate that so I can get to bed on Monday night and say, boy, that was a big day. I'm glad I made it. This lady, she doesn't need a crystal ball saying, tell me, tell me what's in store for me. The Lord is in the future. He has the grace there and here. She just knows it. Because she sees clearly. She sizes up the future well. And lastly, look at 30. She looks at God. She looks at God with an accuracy that awakens her, that has something inserted deep within her heart, namely the, the, the fear of the Lord And she knows him. She looks at him often and she knows him. There's echoes here of Deuteronomy. That's probably her favorite book. She might even have a pocket of Deuteronomy and she's reading these things. She said, or or Deuteronomy uh, 7 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's not because you are more in number than any of the other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore. To his fathers, that the Lord has brought you out of the redeem, has redeemed you out from slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. She knows this through and through. She sets her attention upon the scriptures and sees carefully and clearly and accurately who the Lord is. And then Deuteronomy ten twelve is probably her favorite verse. And it says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways to love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and all your might. Fearing the Lord provides her with everything she needs to provide others with the bounty of the Lord. That takes us into verse 19. If verse 18 is looking at her eyes, certainly verse 19 then would be look at her hands. So allow your eyes to look at her hands as I read verse 19. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. That's all it says. But this isn't casual. Look at prepositions. Look at her hands. Look at what they're doing. They're not idle. Don't ask me what a distaff is. I still don't know. But it has something to do with holding raw material from which the spindle will will grab it, whether it's wool or flax, and, and they make... Thread and stuff from it, and, and it's, and it's spindling out and out. And they got this big, bu- and then they start sewing with it and, and, and creating hats and scarfs and clothes and even boxers. I don't know. They just clothe people with beautiful works with their hands. These hands are not just idle, they are gripping the tools, and this denotes diligence. The second point here is the excellent worker produces diligently. Well, we could look at other places here. Verse 12, um, one of the beneficiaries of such a worker is her husband. And he's just right there with her and she is doing him good and not evil all the days of her life. This diligent worker is blessing and strengthening and providing goodness through her, her products. But one, one takeaway for me is that this isn't busy work per se. She's actually completing work. Lisa loves to work and she completes. And then she, she gets out her little checklist and goes, it's done. And I always go, why you got that thing? Well, because it's helpful when it's, it's done, it's done. Well, why does it need to be done? Why can't we just dabble with it a little bit and then go on to nothing? This lady is focused and she is producing. She's not just working. She's diligently producing products, commodities, merchandise, things that tangible, you can look at it publications. I don't know if she's a writer, but if she did, she published. And it gets out there and says, here, here, here. These are things that are noticeable of an excellent worker who perceives accurately, and now we see producing diligently. There is no sloth. There is no laziness. There is no Lying and stealing and all these vices that pull away from from work. She's spot on and she's working hard until she completes something. You can see that with uh, verse 16. Her business flourishes. (laughs) She's amazing. Verse 24, she makes a profit. And verse 26 she makes sense. I don't mean C-E-N-T-S. She understands. She has a clear mind. She doesn't just produce products. She's formulating thoughts that come out of her mouth in her teaching. Teaching is producing good materials for learning. A cohesive, coherent thought pattern doesn't just happen overnight. This lady has been intelligently working at understanding and clarifying. So when she opens her mouth, what pours out of her mouth is wisdom. And what's on her her lips is kindness. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Tim Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, gives us a flavor of what it means to produce diligently. He says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. This pattern is found in all kinds of work. Farming takes the physical material of soil and sees and produces food, music, takes the physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful and thrilling that brings meaning to life. When we take fabric and make a piece of clothing, when we push a broom and clean a room, when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity, when we take an unformed, naive human mind and teach it a subject, when we teach a couple how to resolve relational disputes, when we take simple materials and turn them into a poignant work of art, we are continuing God's work of forming and filling and subduing. End quote. That's all coming out of verse 19 and all over Proverbs 31 and all over the book of Proverbs and dare I say all over the 66 books of the Bible. But she doesn't stop, does she? An excellent worker, seeing, perceiving accurately, carefully, and then that energizes her to start working and producing diligently. It's not over. It's not over. I mean, if you were to come alongside her and look at her ox, you might find a bumper sticker right on the back of the ox that says, Enough for us, plenty for others. Did they have bumper stickers back then? No, thank you. This is a woman who is overflowing with liberality. The third and final point is, she provides generously not grudgingly or under complaint under compulsion God loves a cheerful giver and so she's getting so much built up in her heart and in her bank account that she's just bulging with blessings and she's not going to squirrel them away because of this proverbial rainy day coming up she lets loose and blesses people all over the place. Verse 20 we read, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So, if verse 18 is looking at her eyes and verse 19 looks down at her hands, this one might be looking at her heart. It is Wide-open generosity. A excellent worker, generous with the proceeds, is what we find in this poem. And so what does she do with it? Well, she gives it away. Getting back to her favorite book, Deuteronomy, She got to chapter 15, verse 10, and she enjoyed that very much. It says, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, in all that you undertake. Now that is jaw-dropping beauty. So there you have it. That's the message. It's the excellent worker. And it probably was on the screen. It's got this topic and this theme. And this theme was organized into touch points, three of them. And we could probably say them again and again. And and those are good and right and helpful and accurate and will remind us of what an excellent worker is. But something very strange is missing right now. Something very, very strange. A silence is in the air. If I were to say, there's the summary of the message, will you pray with me? And then we'll go into communion. What's missing? We went through the poem what what what's what's missing? Last week, Lisa and I went to a matinee. We don't do that often, and this is quite a treat, and so right after church service uh, last Sunday, we went to Oppenheimer. Our hearts broke a thousand and one pieces, but it was thrilling. It held us into a dark season in the history of the world and gave us insights and glimpses that were strange and yet wonderful and gripping. So we went to the matinee and we sat down and we watched an exceptional movie. In the, the, the movie, the uh, main character, Oppenheimer, he is a a a brilliant theoretical physicist with with bulging, silvery blue eyes that barely blinked in three hours when we were watching the movie. That's all he did. He would just stare. And, And he had this brain given to him by God that was par with, if not surpassed Einstein. I didn't know those two. contemporaries. (laughs) Or contemporaries. <laughs> I thought Einstein was like 1,100 or something the way he looks. And these two were working hard, one uh, for Germans and one for not. And, and, um, and what Oppenheimer was trying to do is look at the invisible realities with his imagination and try to crack the code necessary to build and create the atom bomb. And he thought he was getting closer and closer. And then one day, the scene is in a classroom. And in front of him, three or four of his students. And Opperheimer looks awful. He was so conflicted inside, trying to manage this, this crazy, psychedelic look at the universe without the lord and he he was he was just slumped in his chair and his students looked kind of defeated and then he he always held his head he kind of held his head so it wouldn't droop and he he was looking at his students and then he went and he stopped and he got up from his seat he was somewhat animated and then he he went to a four foot by eight foot blackboard with this great big long piece of chalk and his students were behind him so they couldn't see him and he started writing and all they could see was the dust of the chalk writing 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 he puts his chalk down he goes over and he slumps in his seat again and they're looking like you guys are looking you were going the heck is that And some are going, wait, 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 I can can see something in that. And then one said, that can't be. That's impossible. (gasps) Maybe not. And they started rumbling with these insights. And finally, someone broke the rumbling and said, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, it looks like a sheet of music. It's formulas. (laughs) I couldn't read it. And he he said, Oppenheimer, can you hear the music? And he was staring at the floor. Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, can you hear the music, the music, the music from the sheet music? And he slowly lifts his head. And he only broke the gaze with about one blink. And he gestured. He didn't speak at this point. He gestured. And this guy said, you can hear the music. Can you hear the music? And he went, yes, yes, I can hear the music. I do hope that we don't look at the Bible and just see codes And just see formulas. And I hope we don't stare at this screen and see this is in my notes and this is all I need. I can repeat it. I can put it in my pocket. But do you hear the music? Do you hear the gospel? This beautiful encomium of praise and ode and tribute to the glorious one is organized in three parts. There's three stanzas. In verse 12, I think, you will see this literary marker that's going through here. Verse 11, excuse me. And if it's your custom, take out your pencil and underline or box, her husband. You see it in there? Her husband is so blessed to be by the excellent worker that there's goodness all the days of her life going into him. And if you read the poem with a degree of sensitivity, they're married. (laughs) She's the excellent wife. He's the husband. And, And they're so married that they have babies. They have children. This union has so affected and infected the husband that he is he has goodness in his life. So much so that the next stanza, you'll see in verse 23, you can box it, her husband. Now, where do we find him? We find him in, in the council, seated with the elders who are ruling well over all the land. Interesting. And there's goodness and insight. He is an excellent worker. But notice it's her husband. And this goodness continues to overtake him and provide for him. So that in verse 20, is it seven? Verse 28, there's the last, her husband. You can box that one. Those are the three stanzas. And the last one, we find him where? As she enters the room. Oh, ladies, wouldn't this be lovely to enter the room and the kids get up and bless you? (laughs) Someday it happens, maybe. But in this poem, the kids rise up. What does that sound like? Like Regal just came into the room and is rising up. But it's a happy appreciation, calling her happy or blessed. And then the next verse says her husband... Does the same. So he stands with humility and happiness and gratitude and praises her. What are we looking at in this encomium? Jesus Christ came to earth. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, He became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich and be generous and willing to share. He came to the earth and he said, it is my work to do the Father's business. I am the excellent worker. I know what I'm after. I see perfectly. I'm diligent in putting together everything my people need. And I'm Spot on with the cross as He goes to the cross for the ultimate work. He lived the life we should have lived and He died the death we should have died and He was raised in triumphant victory of the first fruits of the new creation. He's still working, created, and now newly creating His church, the people of God. Do we hear that? Do we sense that? Do we believe that? Do we allow our hearts to open in such a way that we now begin to get affected and infected by Him because union with Him gives rise to this fruitfulness? That is the takeaway. As you look into your life and see pockets, where do I need to do better at? And that would be a takeaway. This is work, folks. This is work. Tomorrow's coming, or today is coming. Or changing diapers and sweeping the floor and, and repairing the faucet Then going to work and being in a office space or in the field. Or, but could it not be that this message here will transform those pockets into a worshipful time? The Bible says, whatever your hands do, do them wholeheartedly. And in whatever you do, in the name of the Lord Jesus, do all to the praise of his Father in heaven. That's the message. I want to pray and then segue into his work, the Lord's table. Father, thank you so much for preserving down through the ages Scripture. It is so sweet. It is so inviting. So arresting. So invigorating. So cleansing and washing and wakening. And yet so daunting. And so difficult. Oh, thank you Jesus for living the life for us. For dying in our stead and coming up out of the grave, when you said it is finished, you meant it. Your work is perfect, and we love you for that. Grace us now as we move into the table communion in such a way that we cannot just merely taste the elements but participate in the sacraments. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.